This is Michael Zuber, and I just wanted to thank you for listening to my One Rental at a Time podcast. Did you know that I took the time to document the entire process I used to learn my market and actually still use today? I released it as a $199 online course via Teachable, and it is called How to Get Started One Rental at a Time. With that, you get access to my private Facebook group and can join our group mentoring calls every Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific. You can find it on my website at onerentalatatime.com. Now on with the show. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, folks. How are you doing today? As promised in the daily financial news, we have the one, the only, and yes, the legend, Jonathan Twomley. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great, Michael. How are you today? I'm doing really well, man. I have been thinking about this video, how to articulate it for quite a while. I think you and I have been feeling like the market is getting stretched. We have seen bad deals come across our plate. And frankly, many of those bad deals are still getting done, which scares me. So um, I have rewound the clock to, to uh, an earlier time in my investing career, just to highlight that, uh, you know what, some of these deals getting done are not locking in gains, but they're actually locking in tremendous losses. So uh, what do you think about that before I bring it up? Yeah. So, I mean, listen, we talk a lot about the idea that you make your money on the buy, right? And, and the idea behind that is, is really what we're talking about today is that, you know, the, the cost structure that you lock in on a deal when you buy the deal, mm-hmm. right, is going to follow you for the rest of the time that you own the deal, yeah. right? So if you overpay, you can never correct that problem. Right. Exactly. You, you can, you can, you know, well, and what people I think are hoping is, well, we're going to get so much rent growth uh, that we will uh, grow uh, our way out of the problem. It's sort of, it's sort of like, it reminds me of the way that like the federal government keeps on saying like, oh, we're going to grow our way out of the federal budget deficit <laughs> by, like, by piling more tax cuts and more stimulus on this. And, you know, we're going to make the budget, we're going to make the budget deficit so big that we'll grow our way out of it. Right. And it's just, it's this circular thinking where people say, hey, I'm going to overpay for this deal, but it's going to, you know, but we're going to grow our rent so much and we're going to cut our expenses so much, which hey, you, you can't, you can never cut expenses on properties. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, they don't just magically heal themselves. Yeah. That, that like the, you will solve the problem of overpaying. Yeah. And, uh, and so, and you can't do that. You lock in that cost structure when you buy and either you are locking in a good cost structure and, or you're locking a bad one. And I can look at you, the deals I did. It's very simple. The ones that like made really great money, mm-hmm. we somehow managed to underpay for those deals. Like in mm-hmm. retrospect, you don't necessarily know what you're doing it at the time, but we, yeah. we definitely in retrospect knew like, wow, we actually got this first deal. And the ones that didn't perform so well were the ones we thought we were getting for a steal. But in retrospect, we're like, you know what? We actually overpaid for this property given X, Y, and Z. Right. Yeah. So, uh, it's and that was that was the determining factor right there. It wasn't about rent growth. We had the same rent growth on all the properties because yeah. we were in the same market. You know, we had the same occupancy in all the properties. The end of the day was like, what was the cost structure you locked in? Yeah. Given how much, which is a function of the price you pay and the yeah. amount of debt you have on the property. Yeah, I just want people to realize, and again, to me, this is multifamily, just generally speaking, right? I'm not picking any markets. I'm talking nationally are very much like what you are about to see in 2006 or seven. So what I'm going to do here, folks, I'm going to bring up Zillow. 
which actually is going to show you the price history for the first unit or first house I bought. I talk about it in my book. But what I want you to talk about, what I want to talk about here is, again, the person who bought it from me, I knew they bought a bad deal. It was negative cash flow. It had to be. But they didn't actually feel the pain for years. So what I'm trying to get people to realize is, yeah, you may be feeling really cocky and good about signing that deal today in your multifamily space, but you are about to lose your ass. And I want this real world example. And I have dozens of these that I could show, but let me bring it up and let's just see if this um, hits home with anybody. Where's my, there it is. So let me, let me collapse you and I. So Jonathan, can you see this now? Uh, I, okay, hold on. Yes, I can see it. Okay. All right. So, so this is the first house I ever bought uh, in Fresno. It's 1818 North Drive East. 93703. So folks, you can go look this up. I'm not, this is not, you know, Photoshop or anything. But what I want to call your attention to is down at the near the bottom, 12-11-2002. That was my purchase. 107 grand, rented for 1100. I put 20% down, cash flow 150, 175 bucks, right? That, that was, you know, that was the 1% rule, you know, way back when in 2002. Mm -hmm. Fast forward, not even three years to 2005, I sold it for 264. Jonathan, guess what the rent was? Was it the same or more than what I got it for three years earlier? The rent that you were getting, that you were yep. collecting? The rent that I was collecting in 2002 was 1100. Guess what it was in 2005? I mean, 1200. 1100. It didn't wow. move a nickel. So the first, did you, did you try to raise rents? Uh, we couldn't at that time because everybody and their brother was getting buying, homes. Yeah. It was buying homes. Yeah. Exactly. I remember that. I yeah. remember that as a renter in New York, same thing. I was like, people were giving away apartments, not giving yep. away, but they were giving away two, three months of free mm -hmm. rent because everybody was buying houses. Yeah. So this is what's important. I want people to see this here. So the person who bought the deal in 05 for me bought a bad deal. I call it negative cash flow. I call it an alligator. Call it whatever you want. But they felt great in 2005, right? They don't, you don't buy a deal unless you feel great, right? You, you enjoy it. You probably go out to dinner with your wife or husband or you celebrate it somehow. And oh, by the way, that person who bought it me from in 05 probably felt pretty good for nine, maybe even 12 months because that house appreciates all the way to 300 grand mm. before it reverses course. Then when, it re did the crash, when did the crash hit you? Uh, well, it's, it started hitting Fresno in 2000, in late 2007, got going in 08. And you will see that this house forecloses and retrades in 09 at 75 wow. grand. Yeah. And the only reason that they would foreclose is because they couldn't make, because that rent was less yeah. than what they were paying on the mortgage. Right? Their mortgage. Yeah. Their yeah. mortgage was like 1900 bucks and the rent was 1100. They could have written, they could have written it out. I, now this, now this reminds me very much of some conversations I was having with folks in New York city right around 2006. Mm -hmm. Right. And the, and the crash actually hit us. It hit New York. It was one of the last markets to get hit. Mm -hmm. It actually didn't start crashing until 2008. And um, I remember talking and I was getting very interested in real estate investing at the time. And it's kind of, you know, as was everybody, because it was mm -hmm. all around us, but I'd always been interested in it. But I obviously was thinking more and I was looking to buy my own house and whatever. So this was on my mind. And I remember talking to one of my colleagues 
And she said, you know, my husband and I own an investment condo in the city. Mm. And I was like, I said, oh, that's really cool. How much money do you guys make on it every month? Mm -hmm. And she said, oh, we don't make money on it. <laughs> we, but when we sell it, we're going to make oh, I know. our money back. They were literally paying money out of their pocket every month to, you know, they looked at it as, as like, oh, well, our mortgage is 1900 and we're getting subsidized 1100 yeah. by this renter. That's how yeah. they saw it, right? Uh, so silly. they didn't think of it as losing 800 a month. They thought of it as like, someone else is paying 1100 a month every month. That's great. They're paying part of our mortgage for us. Mm -hmm. But it all depended on making their money back on the back end, which they were convinced that they would. Now, yeah. fortunately, in their case, they, mm -hmm. were, they were lawyers. They did well. They probably were able to keep on paying that mortgage yeah. through the crash and, and then let it ride back up mm -hmm. you know, even more, more crazy on the rebound in New York City after that. So mm -hmm. they may well have done okay, right? But I'm guessing that the per since obviously this property went into foreclosure, it did. You know, this was not someone who had the deep pockets nope. to be able to eat that 800 bucks a month loss every single month, nope. right? And uh, once the crash happened, they just walked away from it because they just were like, well, look, we're, this, isn't, this is worth less, less than we paid for it. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, let's, you know, if you, there were plenty of people that could have held on that didn't because strategic default became the word of the day, at least in California, because they don't yeah. come after you. So again, this is, this is what I'm really bringing up here is a couple of things. I feel in every fiber of my body, some of the deals being done today are very much like the person who bought on November 4th, 2005. You have locked in a bad deal. Yeah. And well, the pain ahead is going to be monstrous. Look at that drop. Yeah. That's, that's 70%. That's crazy. So you wanted to bring this around to the multifamily context, right? Yep, and correct. Now, there's a, there are a lot of people who are out there saying that there was no crash in multifamily in the last financial crisis. Mm -hmm. This is absolutely incorrect. There was mm -hmm. a crash. It just wasn't, nobody was really focusing on it because at that time, you didn't have all these retail investors buying syndications, yeah. right? You, I mean, you did have some high net worth people in these club deals, right? Yeah, but, but it was a, it was a, it was a sliver. Yeah, but there were there was absolutely some of the same kind of like uh, loose lending that went on for multifamily back in those days. Banks were uh, you know throwing uh, money into everything, and the crash hit multifamily too. Now it yep. hit harder in some places than it, than in others, mm -hmm. right? But, you know, I can tell you, for instance, like in Greenville, South Carolina, where I was investing um, and I came in right after this happened, I was not able to borrow money from a local bank in Greenville because they had decided they were not lending to anybody who did not live in the state of South Carolina anymore. Yeah. And the reason for that was because they got burned yep. by out-of-state investors who borrowed a ton of money and then just walked away from mm -hmm. the from these projects when they were, you know, halfway through their their rehab or whatever, and they just were like, I'm out. just walked and yeah. they, here are the keys. And so no more, you know, no more lending to out-of-staters after that period. Yeah. And it's gonna happen again. You know, I saw the same groups, every deal I looked at, the same groups were in the chain of title. And then, <laughs> and the story was always, you know, 
bought really high, foreclosed, some rehabber bought it for a song, rehabbed it, and then I was looking at it mm-hmm. as a rehab deal, as a, as a, you mm-hmm. know, as a newly renovated deal that I, I was going to buy for a buy and hold. And, yep. and you just saw the same names over and over and over again that had walked away from those deals. Yeah. So it, it absolutely, multifamily is not immune from this not at, at all. all. I, I added the other, the other thing I want to point out here, because again, in my market, I added a bunch of houses in the crash, but I actually added more units in multifamily. There was a delay, right? Because in, when housing goes bad, it's one unit. But when multifamily goes bad, you typically limp through with 50 or 60% paying or whatever it is. So you could hold out longer. So I was buying crazy housing deals in like 09, 10. I wasn't, I wasn't getting crazy apartment deals to like 11 or 12. Mm-hmm. And I mean, some of the multifamily deals I did are like stealing. It was, they were so good. So do again, folks, the idea that everybody likes to talk about, you make your money when you buy a lot of you that are doing deals today are locking in horrible losses. Like that person who overpaid for my house, 264 renting for 1100. You just don't know it yet. You just don't know it yet. You're going to bleed and bleed and bleed and bleed and then give up. Yeah. The issue is for multifamily if you're not locking in a big enough margin of safety, right? And when you look at a cap rate, right? People, people usually look at a cap rate in terms of, as some sort of measure of risk, right? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, for sure. But cap rate and cap, rates, <coughs> cap rate compression, which we've had now for more than 10 years and we're down to record low cap rates. Uh, cap rate compression happens because people perceive, well, the, the supposedly if things if the market is functioning <coughs> properly it it is a result of the, the risk of the deal going down yep right mm-hmm. the cap rate compresses because the deal is less risky that's not the only reason though right the cap rate can compress because so many people think that it's not risky that they bid the cap rate down to the point where it becomes risky mm-hmm. right this is this is the problem of like following the crowd People can take a good investment and make it a bad investment oh, sure. if enough people follow the crowd into that investment, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and the perception, and I think we've talked about this before, maybe last week, the perception, the perception of safety is inverse to the reality of safety. Mm-hmm. So the more safe that more people think it is, the less safe it gets. And the opposite is true. When the, when the mass market thinks it's risky, that is the best time to buy because the risk is lowest. Oh, because amen to that. I saw that because, close up. Yeah, because the risk, because the, it's been de-risked already, right? You don't have a crash after a crash. <laughs> you, might, you, might have, you, might have a, uh, you might have an extended period of the doldrums, right? Yeah, sure. But where nothing really happens and you don't get appreciation or rent growth, but you're not, but you're not gonna get another crash after the big one happens, right? Yeah. But the thing is because of recency bias, which is one of the, one of the cognitive biases that investors struggle with mm-hmm. after a crash, the crash is recent and it's big and they think that it's gonna happen again. The opposite is happening now. There hasn't been a crash for a long time. People are making money. The market continues to climb. It continues yeah. to climb. Recency bias leads people to believe that this will go on forever, right? And, and that is actually what makes the market more and more risky. And when you go, come back to the camp rate discussion, mm-hmm. The way that I think about cap rates is different. I don't look at a cap rate and say, oh, this is you know, a low cap rate, therefore it is less risky. 
I look at a low cap rate and say, all of the margin of safety has been bid out of this deal. The cap rate is, is representative of your margin of safety, right? You have twice the margin of safety at an eight cap that you do at a four cap, right? Yeah. So, and it used to be the case that, you know, you're like a class A new build property in New York or San Francisco that was renting to lawyers and doctors and stockbrokers and stuff that would trade at a four cap because those people were gonna pay their rent. And even if they lost their jobs, they're gonna pay their rent. And even if they all lost their jobs at the same time, they were all gonna to continue to pay their rent for quite some time after that, right? Mm -hmm. Because A, they had the money, B, these are people who care about their credit rating, et cetera, et cetera, right? Mm -hmm. The flip side was a C deal where you had people who don't make much money, don't have much savings, and their credit is already bad. Yeah, and, and, yeah. and they, frankly, even if they care, they're not in a position, it can't, they can't, it doesn't matter. Like they may mm -hmm. care very much about their credit, but if they don't have the money, they can't matter. pay you rent, yeah, exactly. right? Yeah. So, so it would trade at a much higher cap rate, right? To, to make up for that risk. What you have now is the C deals trading at even lower cap rates than the A deals because yeah, people crazy. think, well, I'm gonna go do a value add and increase the rents and bring in new tenants and they're going to pay yeah. me more rent and then I'm, and that's how I'm going to increase the cap rate and everything is going to be fine. The problem is, you know, if there, if if that doesn't happen, right? Mm -hmm. Or if they they maybe they get higher rents but the credit quality of the tenants is not any better, right? Or it's marginally better. Yeah. Um, but it's not you're not like really moving up the credit chain with mm -hmm. tenants. This basically is all a hope and a prayer. And the, the thing is, you just don't know how long the music is going to keep on playing, right? This is, it becomes a game of musical chairs. Yes. It, it all depends on this continuing to go. And maybe you'll be lucky. And a lot of people will. A lot of people will be just fine. They will ride this out. And then what will happen is after the crash, they'll go out talking about how, oh, you don't have to worry about anything. I was fine. I heard this all the time. Oh, in the crash, I was fine. Well, yeah you may well have been fine in the crash, but that doesn't mean that everybody was fine in the crash. And yeah. the people who, you could well have gotten unlucky, just you had good timing and that's all it was. It was just, it was just luck. Yeah. If you overpaid and you don't lose your shirt, it's because you got lucky. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's, yeah. that's the way it works. Yeah, what I hopefully people take from this, and again, the, these are my words, not yours. If you want to agree, disagree, it's totally fine. But I, what I want to tell people is I think there's a multifamily crash coming. I think, I think, I think saying, I think people are overpaying today for bad deals. And I know how good it feels. I was there. I saw the guy who bought my place for 264 and how thrilled he was to buy that place. But you make your money when you buy, you also lose, you lock in your losses when you buy. And I see a lot of pain. And again, the pain's not today. The pain's not yeah. even tomorrow. And multifamily pain can stretch for years, but there will be pain and it's not going to be pretty. You won't, you won't know for a while. Although, yeah. listen, I don't, I'm going to like slightly dispute what you sure. say. If the time horizon is long enough, you can grow your way out of this problem. Well, that if looks, you have enough time. So it's, yeah. all, it's all about the time, right? That's fair. It's I all mean, about, because like mm -hmm. that, yeah. you know, that guy who bought from you, if, mm -hmm. if the run-up had gone on three more years and he had sold mm -hmm. before it happened, right? Yeah, he could well, have solved his problem. So it all depends on timing. Like if you if you have enough time to grow the rents and grow yourself mm -hmm. into a higher cap rate, yep. 
before you have to refinance or before the crash comes, mm-hmm. you're fine. The, the issue is for people. Now, here's, I'll show you, I'll tell you where the risk is right now. Okay. There are a lot of people buying deals right now with non-traditional financing. Yep. Because exactly. they can't get traditional financing because the, the banks won't give it to them because the deals don't pencil or because they're doing a big rehab. The deals are not stabilized, yep. right? The bank, the traditional banks won't lend on them. These people are, are buying deals with short-term high interest. That's exactly uh, debt, what happened right? in this deal. The person who bought yeah. this had one of those yeah. BS two and 28s where the first two years were ridiculously yeah. low rates. Then it reset. The other thing I want to point out. Yeah. If your time horizon's long enough, you could win, right? He buys yeah. an 05. It finally in 2021 got to above that number. Yeah, if your time horizon is long enough yeah. and you can hold, but the key is positive cash flow. You can't hold, yes. well, most most people can't hold for 16 years. Right, and I'm glad you brought that point up because with multifamily too, this is, and this is what I was talking about with the margin of safety, right? If you are buying at a five cap, but you're buying at a five cap with tenants that you know are going to pay, mm-hmm. right? No matter what. And you're buying at a five cap in a market with like, like, New York historically, except for recently, but it'll be there again soon mm-hmm. with extremely low vacancy, right? Because there's severe, severe yeah. undersupply, mm-hmm. right? If you're, if you're buying in a market like that with those kinds of, uh, you know, sort of demographics, then that low cap rate is probably reflective of the risk that you're taking, right? But the problem is if you're, if it's not, if you're buying a B deal or a C deal at that same, at a what used to be an A cap rate, right? Now you are just a few tenants not paying away from defaulting on your debt, yep. right? And that's the problem, right? The problem is not so much, not so much that cap rates are going to decompress and the value is going to go down because it does throughout the cycle, right? In a normal cycle, it's going to decompress and it's going to compress and decompress again. That's normal. If you have long-term debt and you have cash flowing, you know, and your your deals are cash flowing, you'll be fine as long yeah. as you don't have finance right at a bad time. The problem, though, is it you know if the economy slips into recession or if something happens in your market where a major employer goes belly up or whatever mm-hmm. the case, or a lot of supply that comes into your market all of a sudden, you know, and you can't compete for tenants, right? Anything that happens to your rent roll when yeah. you're buying at a low cap rate, that Margin that's safety. where your risk is, right? Yep. So you've destroyed that eight percent or ten percent margin of safety that you used to have that you require that people used to require on a C deal, mm-hmm. right? Gotten rid of that because everybody's like, oh, multifamily can't fail. Multifamily value add, value add, value add, value yes. add. Yeah, it's, it's oh. never, it can never go down. Rents are always going to go up. Not People good. always need a place to live. All these things, we've heard them all before. And it happened in 2008 and it, it could happen again to you. Oh, and I mean, the other thing too, I wanted to point out that about the Greenville example, in the great financial crisis, right? What, was, what do you think unemployment went to, oh, sorry, what do you think vacancy went to on a market-wide basis in Greenville, which is a really great market? Oh, uh, vacancy? Yeah. I don't know, 5%, 8%? 12? I have no idea. 17%. Oh, Jesus. Ouch. Yeah, you don't model that generally. Yeah. And, oh. and so, ouch. 17% at the, at the worst point oh, of, the, of the crisis. So, 
Uh, and you won't see this now because if you go and download like a Reese report or something like that, they only go back five years. Yeah, they right? don't go back far enough. Yeah. When I was buying, when I was looking in 2013, it went back five years to 20 to 2008 when, when it, you know, but now you won't see that data, right? Yeah, so it's amazing. Uh, you don't know how low it can get. Now, maybe the market has changed, right? You know, a lot, there's been a lot of population growth, but there was a lot of population growth then too. It really depends on, you know, it's a very heavily manufacturing dependent state, yeah. right? If we get into a global recession where the manufacturing stops, then, oh boy, it's going to be tough, right? So yeah. Yeah. In the end, I see, in the end, I wanted to bring this up because I see so many similarities, right? First and foremost, the person who bought my deal locked in his losses. Second thing that's very similar is he used not, he didn't use 30 year fixed rate debt. He used these teaser non-traditional loans. Again, that's a problem. I see it today. Uh, and then the last one, yeah, if your time horizon is long enough, it'll come back. I mean, in this case, it's kind of extreme at 16 years, but still, I mean, if you're cash flowing, you, do you really care what it's worth? Yeah, I don't, not really. If you don't have to sell or refinance, you don't. Doesn't care. matter. Yeah. And I, I actually did. I did like about now. It's going on like eight years. I I wrote an article on LinkedIn about this, mm. about how if you're cash flowing, then you really don't care about don't what the care. market's yeah. doing. Yeah. But it and and this remains true today. But yeah. you have to you have to keep the cash flowing so up. So if you're not, you know, you got to be wary of those threats to your cash flow, and you have to model them in. You have to when you're buying a deal, mm -hmm. you have to be i mean and this this may prevent you from buying deals right and this is a reality of the business mm -hmm. if you're underwriting properly you may look at it and go maybe i shouldn't buy the deal and a lot of people are kind of they're kind of like underwriting like like yeah. this because they're it's too much cash to... there's too much damn cash and you're not yeah. comfortable sitting on it folks yeah. there are bad deal there are lots of bad deals being done today and you won't even feel the pain for several years so ah this it's hopefully that hits home hope you know go back and look at that picture put yourself in the position of that guy buying that stupid house for 264 with 1100 rent it could not work out couldn't yeah. work out there's no math you couldn't beat your excel spreadsheet yeah. up enough to make it work so i mean and similarly put yourself in the position yeah. of the guy buying the the multifamily rehab deal Oof. in in greenville at the top of the market and then vacancy went to 17 percent. it's, it's right? bad it, bad it, yeah. And again, you won't feel it for a couple of years, but you are buying you are buying financial pain right now. All right, we kicked that one. So thank you very much, Jonathan. Absolutely.